say, we'll never tell anybody when they're doing something wrong because we are loving. And they have said, let's remove the idea of hell. And they have declared that love wins. On the other side is a group of people who say, no, 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 truth is paramount. It doesn't matter how I treat people. I need to declare the truth because that is what Jesus has told me to do. And so these people make clear their opinions. They make clear right and wrong, never worrying a bit about how it affects those around them or whether or not they are showing those people love. The second group has become maybe the loudest in the Christian world today. And Tim Downs, uh, author of Finding Common Ground, which some of you have read in our Connect groups, says this, Today Christians find themselves in the frustrating position of living in a post-Christian society. We feel like a definite minority within an increasingly hostile culture as so many of our Christian predecessors did. But unlike our predecessors, we are keenly aware that in the recent past we seem to be a majority. We grieve the loss of our majority status and we respond with all the hurt and anger of a rejected lover. Christians often speak and write as though something has been taken from us that must be reclaimed. An insult has been made that must be answered. Ground has been lost that must be regained. A wrong has been done that must be made right. The majority culture has taken a hostile stance and we must answer in kind. We're not the only ones who feel left out. No one feels like the majority. Every ethnic, political, and religious group feels like an oppressed minority, outnumbered and outgunned, that must fight for its rights or be pushed back to the back of the bus. As a result, our culture as a whole has taken on the adversarial attitude. We are all oppressed. We are all under attack. We must all fight back. The war on drugs, the war on cancer, the battle of the sexes, politician turf battles. In the argument culture... Wars, war metaphors pervade our talk and shape our thinking. Nearly everything is framed as a battle or game in which winning or losing is the main concern. These all have their uses and their place, but they are not the only way and often not the best way. Here's the thing that Tim Downs is getting at. He's saying this, Christians feel as though they are under attack. Just like everybody else feels like they're under attack. And so what Christians have done, if you call yourself a Christian, is we have taken one of the sides. We said, well, I'm going to jump on the love board and I'm not going to worry about standing for truth and I'll just look like everybody else and it won't matter and that way I can blend in with society because they're taking over whoever they are. Or on the other side, you have people who go, wait a minute, time out. You can't win this. We'll win this battle. I'm going to yell louder. I'm going to pick it harder. I'm going to be meaner. I'm going to do whatever it takes so that we can regain our ground. We can win this battle. And you see that all around us, this war kind of wages. You can probably, just sitting here, if you know any Christians, you can probably, just in your head, identify the Christians in your life and what side they have taken. You can almost look at people and go, oh, they're like a truth person, or oh, they're like a love person. Some of the issues are, are crystal clear. I mean, where we, where we have these lines, and the, the easiest to see is on the issue of homosexuality and gay marriage, right? I mean, you probably know two types of Christians. There are those Christians who have said, you know, let's just kind of dismiss what the Bible says. These are people too. Let's show them love, and let's be kind to them, and let them do whatever they want. And on the other side... You have people who say, well, the Bible says that that's wrong, and so they need to not be treated as people, and we'll just make sure that our laws go through, and we'll dismiss them like they don't matter anymore. And you see kind of this clear-cut separation between people who are all about love 
and all about truth in that one issue. But I think that most of us, I think that most of us, whether Christian or not Christian, we feel as though society is wrong. Maybe we haven't thought about it or processed it, but somewhere in most people, I believe, is an understanding that both truth and love are paramount. That both of them can go together, even if we don't know what that looks like. And over the next two weeks, we're going to study two letters in the Bible, 2nd and 3rd John. And in these letters, we are going to see the combination of truth and love. And we're going to see how one great man, uh, John, thought that these two things go together. Last week, I, I used a, a phrase, truthing in love. And I talked about that out of Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. And I think what John describes for us is truthing in love. And, and here's the thing, is it's easy to say, well, I'd like to, to present the truth and I'd like to still be loving. But it's a hard thing to do. It's so hard, in fact, that a lot of times we're left in culture going, what do I do with this issue? I mean, what do I do with the topic of homosexuality? Where do I draw the line and say, here's what I think the Bible says, it's wrong? And when do I say, well, these are people that, that God loves and I'm going to love them too? Where is the line? I, I don't know. What do I do? And in those cases, oftentimes it's good to get the advice of somebody spiritual, somebody smart, somebody like John. John was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was one of the twelve, which made him very close to Jesus, a good friend of Jesus. But even more than that, he was one of the three men that Jesus took to see more miracles than the other guys. And he took John to go away with him and pray. And, and at the end of his life, right before Jesus was about to die, he said, hey, you three, including John, come with me. We're going away to pray. He wanted to have John close to him. John also, when he writes these letters, this is really cool and, and really important, I think, as we kind of hear his wisdom. He refers to himself as the elder, as we'll see in a second. But John, at this point, is probably the last living disciple out of those twelve. The rest of them have been persecuted and killed at the hands of Christian enemies. But John had been sent away to the island of Patmos, where he wrote a book in the Bible called Revelation. And now he's probably a free man living in a town called Ephesus, going to church there. And he writes this letter in order that some other people can hear from his wisdom. And so in this, in these letters that we'll study over the next two weeks, we see kind of the heart of a man who isn't just... A guy, some guy out there, but he's one of Jesus' closest followers, and he's not just a close follower of Jesus, but an older close follower of Jesus who has seen a lot, and he's dealt with a culture that doesn't like the idea of truth and love, and doesn't want to be told what to do, and probably looks pretty similar to the one in which we live today. And so when you hear these words that we'll study over the next two weeks in Second and Third John, I want you to remember that this is the advice of a man who really has some weight behind his words because of what he had been through and who he was as a person. Here's how Second John begins. The elder, talking about John. To the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. The word the elder refers to John, as I said, but it also shows us something else about John. It was a term of respect for older people in the Jewish society, and, and the Christian community took that 
And they started to apply it to Christian leaders within the church. And so kind of in this one little phrase, the elder John says, Hey, look, I am two things to you. I am an older, wiser person, but I am also somebody who has some authority within the context of church. And so listen to what I say next. Now, he refers to the lady. And the lady is probably a reference to another church. And you say, well, why would he say the lady? Well, there's some of the bride of Christ that we talked about a few weeks ago in there. But even more, the church is suffering pretty bad persecution. I said John had been sent to the island of Patmos. And so it makes sense for him to write in code, if you will. If he says to the church and somebody intercepts the letter, then you have a problem on your hand. The letter gets shredded. It never gets to the church. And that church might be found out and persecuted worse than they're already being persecuted. But John here writes... In code, if you will. The book of Revelation is written in a similar way. He writes in this apocryphal type language, if you've never read it. And he probably did that because he was on an island and he was handing a guard a letter and saying, deliver this. And if he was going to flat out say, Rome is terrible and they're going to be ended someday, there probably is Roman soldiers not going to deliver that letter to the churches. But if he says, Babylon the Great will someday be destroyed, then they go, whatever, Babylon's already been destroyed. This guy's crazy. Let me pass it. Along. And so John seems to do that again here in the book of 2 John. He wants to send this message to a church, but he writes it in code. And we know that, if you're wondering, why, why do you think this is a church? We know that, basically, the, the biggest piece of evidence is that he goes from second person singular to second person plural throughout. And so he says that sometimes you, individually, and sometimes he says you, as in a lot of people, which would make no sense if you're talking to a woman, right? To talk about you in the plural. And so that's how we kind of know that. He goes on here and he says, love in the truth. Love in the truth. See, John here doesn't see any separation right from the beginning of this passage between love and truth. In fact, John says, I love you in the truth. And this becomes the real theme in this whole book, 2 John, and really 3 John. It is all about what it means to love in the truth. Now, in this first phrase, the truth is probably the gospel. Because in the next passage, it says that not only I love you, or in the next verse, not only I love you, but also those who are in the truth. He seems to be using it the same way that Paul uses in the faith throughout the New Testament. And that is to say those who are Christians. Now, love is an important topic. For John, if you read the book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation, love is, is key. And, and here's the thing. John gives us a description of love in 1st John 3, 16 through 18. And this is what he says, and it's important for us as we move forward. This is how we know what love is. This is big. Because don't you want to know what love is? I mean, that's a question uh, that, that is in every song, it seems like. I mean, I want to know what love is. Right? Like you know that lyric. You're already singing in your head. I want to know what love is. Or, and we've played these before in church with this same question, but, but what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. I mean, don't like every musician apparently has this question. And so here, John says, this is how we know what love is. 
I'm paying attention. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So John says something pretty big for us here. He says that love is not this emotion, this feeling, this idea, this romanticized thing that our our culture has made it. He says love is this that you sacrifice for the good of another person like Jesus did. Love is action-based, not feeling-based. And so with that in mind... Pay attention again. He says, I love you in the truth. I have this sacrificial love for you in the truth. And not only I, but also those who know the truth. Because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. John says, look, it's not just me who loves you, but it's all the people that I know that are Christians, those who are in the truth. They also love you. But then he says this very interesting thing about the truth. He almost changes how he's using the word here because he says, which lives in us and will be with us forever. That's kind of an interesting thing to say when you've used it as Christianity, right? I mean, well, okay, Christianity kind of lives in me, but it's more like a religion and it's something I'm a part of. So what does he mean it lives in me? Well, there's there's several things. First of all, it means it kind of in this... uh, this, this very vague way, first of all, I think. I think he means like when we say that you will be in my heart forever. You know that? Like you'll be in my heart since I'm quoting music. Bill Collins, uh, Tarzan, seen it maybe. You'll be in my... Like that. I think he uses it first in that way. He's saying that the truth of the gospel is in me in this way that like it will never leave me. It's a part of who I am. And, and the truth is that as Christians, we should be so immersed in the life that Jesus has given us, that it really is in us, in, in this like kind of just magical way where it's just a part of who we are. But I think he means it in another way. I think he also means it this way. Uh, first, excuse me, John fourteen six says this. It's, ta- it's Jesus talking. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Matthew twenty eight twenty says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so I think while John means it in a Phil Collins kind of way, I also think that John means it in a Jesus kind of way. And, and that when we accept Christ as our Savior and become Christians, then what happens is that Jesus becomes a part part of our life in a very real way. And so no longer is it just the truth, this thing called Christianity, but it is something that is in us through Jesus. But I also think he means it like this. John sixteen thirteen. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the spirit of truth. And the rest of the New Testament makes very clear that the truth, the Holy Spirit, comes into us when we accept Christ. And so in some very real spiritual way, also, the truth is now in us. And so here is kind of the thing, the picture that John is giving about his love, this sacrificial thing that he does for these people and that others do for these people. He's saying it is totally and utterly wrapped up in the gospel story. He's saying, look, This love that I have for you is wrapped up in this thing that can be described as the truth, which is the gospel story. The gospel story is the very essence of truth, and that is why 
I love you because of the Holy Spirit in me, because of the work of Jesus in me, and because I'm so immersed in this thing called Christianity that it draws me to love you more. 1 John 5.8 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, here's the thing. Christians ought to be, ought to be people who love because the truth is in us. And that is the first connection. We look at our society and we say, well, i got to pick a side, i got to be loving, or i got to be truthful, and I don't know what to do. Well, this is what John seems to say right from the very beginning. If you are a Christian, then you love because the truth is inside of you. Verse 3 says this, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth, and love. Grace is a word that basically means unmerited favor. The idea is that God looked down upon us and said, look, there's nothing in you that is any good at all, but yet I still am going to care about you and love you and do what's right for you. And we know, and we'll talk more about this in a second, that Jesus came from heaven because of the grace of God and he died on a cross, not because of anything good that human beings had done. In fact, we had done a lot wrong, but instead because of the grace of God. Mercy refers to a desire, a willingness to heal people's suffering. That is also wrapped up in the gospel story. God came, died on a cross, and then he said, look, I want want to fix you, and I want to bring you to me, and I want to help you get out of the rut that you're in and and the garbage that your life is so wrapped up in, and I I want to make you whole and make you clean and make you better than you ever were without me. And so God has that for us. And then it says uh, peace here, and peace is really the result of that grace and mercy that we have this internal satisfaction and that we have a relationship with God that is not hindered by by sin and by death and by the slavery to Satan and and the dark forces. And so what what John is saying to us here is, look, God brought you the gospel, the Father, the Son, they brought you the gospel. And that came in truth and love. Isn't that interesting? I mean, John, in some way, is saying here that the grace, mercy, and peace that Christian people have is wrapped up in the combination of truth and love. It makes absolutely no sense for Christians to say, well, i got to pick truth or love, when the very essence of Christianity, the grace, mercy, and the peace that it brings, is because of the truth and love of God. And you say, well, how is that true? Well, here's the thing. If God would have picked a side, we'd be going to hell. I mean, if God would have looked down here and said, I love those guys. I mean, I feel so good about them. I'm not going to tell them about sin. I'm not going to try to tell them they're wrong because I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to make them feel bad. So I'm just going to love them from up here. I'll make them happy. And then I'll let them die and go to hell because, you know, I don't want them to know about sin or anything like that then we never would have become Christians. On the flip side, if God would have been like, hey, it's all about truth. I mean, I am all about truth. You are sinners. You are bad. You are wrong. You are my enemy. I will do nothing for you. Good luck down there. Also, hell. 
It required both things, you see. It required God to look down and go, I love you. I care about you. And cling to the truth, and that is that you're sinners, and I can't be in your presence while you're sinners. And those two things collided when Jesus came to earth to save people, to die on a cross for people. They just came together in perfect unity so that we, if we accept the gift of salvation, can have grace, mercy, and peace in our lives. You see, the gospel doesn't happen apart from truth and love coming together. The other aspect of this is that when we come to grace, truth, and love, then we need to be a person, we need to be people who cling to truth and love. And I think that's wrapped up in what John is saying here. He's saying, look, you've come to grace, mercy, and peace, excuse me, and, and, and now you have a responsibility to truth in love. Now here, here, listen to what he says here, because this is, this is where it all just comes together and becomes so important for us. And I mean, it, because right now I've set up this dichotomy between truth and love, and you're going, well, how can they both come together? Because you, you're even pitting them as enemies. Now listen to what he says, because it is so countercultural. I mean, what I'm, what I'm about to read to you, just, just I, it should rub you wrong a little, and you should go like, well, that, that's not what I, I see, and that doesn't feel right, and that doesn't look right, and I'm not sure that even makes sense, and it should just kind of get you just a little bit, and I, I hope, honestly, that, that as we kind of read this, then you'll change your Facebook posts that you post all the time that either lean towards truth or love, because I'm sick of that, and, and maybe right here in what John says next, we'll just kind of fix ourselves. I mean, maybe we'll be fixed through the Word of God here and we'll, we will match the gospel and how we come together. Listen, and now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love. Again, this is love, ready? That we walk in obedience to His commands as you have heard from the beginning, His commands that you walk in love. In the midst of this, He talks about commands, truth, right? Something that, that we say, well, that can't be loving if you hold people to the commands of God. And he talks about the importance of walking in love. It echoes 1 John 2, 7 through 11, where he basically says the same thing. And it goes all the way back because it says, this is not a new thing I'm trying to encourage you to do. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Matthew 22, 37 and 38 says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love has always been paramount. Always been paramount to the Christian story. And so have the commands of God. Both things have always been part of the foundation. John reminds the church to love one another. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, and 10. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. I think this is John's heart for us. I think John probably looks down at the people, God looks down at the people in this church, and, and he, he's like, you're pretty loving but I urge you to do so more and more, and I urge you to do it better in truth. Now here's, here's kind of the deal. He says that if we're going to love, then it must be wrapped up, pay very close attention to this, following 
the commands of God and following the commands of God. And I think that what our society has done is it's lied to us and said, love, truth, you can't do both. But what the Bible does is it gives us these truths, these commands, that if we follow, we will actually be loving. You see, what the world has done is it's given a false version of truth, and it's given a false version of love. But when you read the Bible, and you actually put into practice what it has said, then, without even trying or thinking or anything like that, what you end up doing is truthing in love. You stop buying into this stupid version of truth and this stupid version of love and you start buying into God's version of what really love is. Something that can be done and will be done in the truth when Christians are living out His commands. Let me just give a command, a couple commands, two of them from the Bible. The first one is is directed at, at you listening here, listening online that that have just thrown away the idea of truth. Listen to Matthew 18 and 15. For those of you that go, well, we just need to love and we need to not talk about sin and all that. Ready? Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. I mean, in no way can you follow that command, which is part of John's definition of love. In no way can you follow that command and say, well, I don't believe in sin. Or it's no good to call people out on their sin because we don't want to be judgmental and I'm just going to let them kind of live that thing out. No way can you love through following the commands of God if you do that. Now on the other side, a command for people who have picked the side of truth. Titus 3, 1 and 2. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle toward everyone. Everyone. Even if it's a politician you don't like. I mean, honestly, be gentle to everyone. Even if they disagree on your stance on gay marriage, be gentle to everyone. And you see, you go, well, I'm loving God through my truth. But you're not. You're disobeying a command which, according to John, cannot be done if you're actually loving. You see, we have picked sides, and the world is looking at us, and they're loving it. I mean, I think it's Satan. It's somewhere deep down. It's loving it. I think Satan's going, look, I've made them think that they'll either be nice to everybody and never think about truth, or they think about truth a ton and they yell at everybody, make everybody mad. And I think he loves it. I think he's got us right where he wants us, where we feel for some stupid reason that we need to pick a side, and we are picking sides. Say, I'm going to be about truth, I'm going to be about love, but I'm not going to go on the other side because those guys disagree with me and they're not like me. But John just makes it so easy. Hey, do you want to love and truth? you want truth and love? Let me give you the simple answer for that. Pick up the Bible, read it, do what it says says to talk to people about their sin, do it. It says to be gentle to everyone, loving and respecting them, then do that too. And at some point you go, well, that's going to be really hard to do. Yeah, we'll pray about it and ask God how that line works out. But when we start to say, well, I'm going to focus on the command to, to yell at people about their sin, which is not a command. <laughs> but when we, when we start to say, I'm going to focus on that command then we throw out a million other commands. And when we say, well, I'm just going to love with my version of love, where it just makes everybody feel good and makes them happy and nobody's offended, and you throw out truth and you throw out God's version of love. You see, at the end of the day, the only 
the only thing you're doing if you're picking a side is you are taking these beautiful words, truth and love, and you are making them your own definitions. You're basically looking at God and saying, God, that's great that you've given me commands and you want me to love and you want me to hold the truth, but you know what? I think love is really not hurting anybody's feelings. I mean, God, that's great that you said to call people out on their sin, but let me tell you what love really is. It's not talking about hell because it might make somebody feel sad. And when we, when we do the same thing with truth, we're saying, God, well, you know, I, I, I'm going to cling to this truth and, and I'm going I'm to hold tightly to my version of the truth. But, and so the only good truth is for me to make clear to everybody, no matter the circumstance and no matter how much it hurts their feelings, and no matter how unloving it is, I'm just going to declare it. Move on, be done with it, no big deal. Just messing up God's version of truth. And you're doing it in the name of Scripture. That's, that's pathetic. I mean, when you refuse to be gentle towards everyone for the name of truth, then you're just saying, I don't think the Bible's true. That's what you're saying, right? You're saying, well, um, here's my truth. It's, it's this side of the political parties, and, and that's my truth. So, God, I don't care about your truth, because this is my truth. And my truth says this is right, so I'm going to tell everybody, and it's going to be void of love. I mean, the president's stupid, or the last president was stupid, whoever you want to choose. You know, I mean, it's, they're idiots, and they've done everything wrong, they've messed everything up. Well, God appointed him according to Romans 13, so you might as well start following his version of the truth. I, I, I'm, I, it fires me up, because I'm so sick of Facebook, and the things that even some of you post, just to be honest with you. I, I, it's just stupid and ridiculous, and it's like, have you read a Bible? I mean, honestly, because this is not gentle, or this is not true. I mean, it's one or the other, and it's time for us to say, I'm just going to follow the biblical commands of God, because that is true thing in love. It, it just, oh, when I go into Starbucks, and, and when people know I'm a pastor, and they're like, well, you're probably a jerk. That's because we are not listening to the commands of God. I mean, honestly, I had somebody say to me not that long ago, you hate gay people, right? They were totally calm. Totally, it was, it's a person I like, they like me, and they just assumed, because of what they know about Christians, that I hate gay people. And then I said, no. And they said, well, isn't that like in the Bible? That's because you've said, God, I don't care about your version of truth thing and love. I care about mine. It does not work, and it's killing it's killing Christianity in America. Have, have you never read Second John? I mean, have, I mean, maybe the church has never read Second John ever. Like maybe every Christian in America just needs to pick up Second John, and we could get the, this thing rolling in the right direction again. Because what John says is that when you become a Christian, it's on the foundation of truth and love. And what happens is truth and love both come into you part of who you are and the result is that you follow the commands of god which again is truth and love but when we say i don't know your commands i don't care about your commands i'm not going to think about your commands i'll make up my own commands i'm going to do my thing i'm going to do whatever feels right if i don't feel convicted i won't do it if i you know i'm going to i'm i'm going to jump on the bandwagon the guy that's on tv he's a christian and uh no that doesn't work Right? We can all admit that, right? It's not working. Can, you, can we just... I mean, I'm right. 
Maybe you're bothered by me right now, but I am right because I'm talking about what the Bible says. We need to truth and love because we are Christians. And honestly, I believe that our world wants it. Our world wants it. I think our world is going, this doesn't seem right. I mean, there has to be some type of foundational beliefs and truth. There has to be something. And they're also going, but I really like this idea of love. Why can't these two go together? I think Christians have the only answer for that question. We can say they can go together, and the way they go together is people look at the love and truth that collided in the person of Jesus. They accept that. They allow for that to to saturate their lives. And then they read the Bible and they say, this is what God describes as truth and love, and I'm going to live it out. Every command, not some of them, all of them. And when we do that, the world will have its answer for what, what is the combination between truth and love. The combination is Christianity. I mean, that is it. The combination is Christianity between truth and love. No other answer for it. Everybody else needs to pick a side. But if you've accepted Christ and you believe in His Word and the things it says, then you can put them together and you can impact the culture around us. I've picked on you who lean towards truth, I feel like, but let me end with how John ends. I won't read the last couple of verses because he basically says goodbye. But verse 7, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. John ends this by saying, look, if you're not living out real truth in your love, then all you're going to do is be countering the love that you feel. See, I think what John makes clear in this last section when he says, look, don't take them in your house. Don't be welcoming. The idea is like not giving them a blessing. Don't, don't give a blessing to people that are not teaching the truth of Christianity. I think what John is saying is this. It's paramount that you love God's way because if you don't, what happens is you end up supporting the wickedness of non-Christians. You see, what John kind of makes clear is, look, You think, this is how we would approach it, right? Like, I need to be loving. So I'm going to invite that person into my house, and I'm going to take care of them, no matter what bad doctrine they're teaching, whether they're teaching along the lines of the Nicene and Apostles' Creed or not. I'm going to bring them into my house, I'll support them, I'll hang out with them, then they can go out and they can preach and they can lead people away from Jesus. But John, in the midst of this letter, says, look, your version of love is not God's version. Because ultimately, that's going to hurt the world that you live in. It's going to lead you astray. It's going to lead other people astray. And I think that he ends this in a way that reminds us that we cannot trust our own intuition when it comes to the topic of love. We can't say, I know better than God knows. Because when we do, we begin to share in the wickedness of the world. And we have seen far too many examples of that, right? I mean, we see it all the time nowadays where people say, I'm going to remove hell. That happened in a book not too long ago that's become quite famous. Uh, A pastor wrote 
a book that d- diminishes the idea of hell. But in the long run, even though he thinks it's best and the most loving thing to write about, it's going to hurt the kingdom. It's going to hurt the world. And so in these last four verses, three, four verses, John, John reminds us that we cannot run around defining love and truth. We cannot run around defining what love is, making people feel good, but instead we must follow the heart of God because, as it says in Scripture, God is love. You may think, I know what love is, but God knows better because God is love. So for us, we need to say, look, God, sometimes there's hard conversations. There's difficult things. Sometimes it's just easier to say, well, I'm going to let you stay at my house because I won't hurt your feelings. But we need to say, well, that's not love. Sometimes love is calling people out and looking at them and saying, you're wrong. You're wrong and you're hurting people. And I'm not going to stand here and pretend that I like it or that it's good or that it's healthy. But you are wrong. You say, well, that's tough. Where is the line? Tim Downs gives us wonderful advice in the same book. He says this, In reality, love and justice are not competing voices. I would say justice and truth are pretty close. In reality, love and justice are not competing voices. Like a couple of fiercely independent lobbyists, each looking out only for his own interests. They're more like two ambassadors who both represent the kingdom of God, reflecting and emphasizing a different part of their Lord's will. My duty is to listen to both ambassadors and then arrive at a decision that will be most pleasing to the master. Sometimes my decision will seem to favor love, and sometimes they will seem to favor justice. Their master will never be pleased to learn that I have blatantly disregarded either one of them. Always my decision will represent the best that I can imagine. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you've shown us what love is, God, that, you, that you've given us commands. And, uh, Lord, I, I look at a, a world, or, uh, the world around us, and, and I see that people don't know what it's like to love. They don't know what it is, and they want to know. And I see families that are breaking and, and marriages that fall apart because people have these false ideas of love that are tainted by the music we listen to and the movies and our culture. And, and, and Lord, I, I pray that... I can't, I can't even ask for, for people who don't know you. I would simply ask that they would come to a relationship and you would bring people into the kingdom more and more, God. But for those of us who have the truth in us, I pray, Lord, that we would break away from this false idea of what love is and what truth is and, and how they come together. And, Lord, we would we would listen to what you say in your word. And God, we would always be willing to call people out on their sin, but we would always be gentle and respectful of everybody. And Lord, there are situations where those two things seem to not go together at all. Lord, we face situations, at least weekly, God, that we that it's like, well, I don't know how to, to stand for truth and be loving right now. And Lord, I just I guess I trust you and I want you to know that. I, I, I hope that our church trusts you to, to, to just move in us so that as we seek to follow your commands and do everything that you've asked us to do to truth and love, 
uh, that you will just guide us in what that looks like in the details, Lord. Because it, it is, in our current culture today, very difficult, Lord. It is hard. It seems so hard, God, to stand for both of those things. But, Lord, let us, let us just listen to your still, small voice inside of us and follow it. And, God, let us know your word better. Let us, let us be just saturated by your commands so that we may know what it looks like to truth in love, God. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you, that you perfectly truth in love saved us because of it. Amen. Thank you.